0: This is CliffCentral.com.
1: Listening on. You're listening to The Bounce Show. It's live. Well, not this bit, but it's live on CliveCentral.com. Um, it's CliffCentral, blades. <clears throat> Sorry, scrap that, delete it. CliffCentral.com! It's all you
2: keep waiting so long. You know, see me, I'm superstar man. I have time to waste with your minions and things. And
3: All right, all right, all right, Monday, the Bounce Show, what a weekend of sport that was. In the truest form of the expression, I guess, there was like Formula One that you could actually watch, Formula One you could actually tell your friends about. Uh, there was football of all kinds of shapes and sizes with huge ramifications for many teams, incredible rugby, there was tennis, there was golf, absolutely everything. So, of course, in order to get everything... You are at the right place, right? This is it. We've also got a great, uh, sorry, other than catching up on the weekend's uh, action there. Uh, Faithless this morning, that's the song. Uh, I forgot to intro that. Uh, other than the weekend wrap-up, we've got uh, Kyle's coming in from Conker Sports. Last week, the guys from Conker Sport had this amazing article about Leicester City and how they have just kind of, it seems to be like a, a, a financial bubble bursting, the fact that Leicester, the entire team, cost what that Ginger from Man City did, like Kevin de Bruyne, the entire team for one guy, um, and yet they're champions. So, uh, Carl's gonna come in and discuss this whole thing about how maybe this is gonna be the change. Maybe this is like a new dawn in how championship teams are put together and constructed and sort of, you know, um, what's the word? Executing their plans towards these titles. And then we've got Juan from the left backs, uh, our rugby go-to guy. He is gonna be talking about super rugby. There's also a very interesting weekend of sevens rugby, so we're going to catch up on all of that. I I got a couple of other questions I need to ask him, basically about this whole, you know, people keep crapping on about the fact that like Super Rugby can't keep expanding. There's no more room. Blah 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 blah. But you know, ever since we've had these like transformation discussions, and we've tried to, I've tried to look at things a slightly different way. I'm trying to see things in a more positive light because it just seems negativity sells everything nowadays. Whether it be uh, in the media whether it be uh, opinion you know like profiles are based on negative salacious um, input so I'm trying to go the other way so I want to ask a few questions as you about the fact that maybe we should see this as a positive we've got these teams why are we not making the more of them that's my very long-winded intro I'm excited it's been a great weekend of sport but as I said at the top it was kind of exciting because finally finally there was F1 worth watching and that's because there was a new champion on the podium and he was 18 years
1: old max how was the champagne very good very good taste (laughs) you
3: are the youngest grand prix winner in formula one how are you feeling right now
1: yeah it's an incredible feeling i mean i didn't expect that at all but you know to come to come out here on top um yeah amazing i um i have no words for it
3: you're up there with sebastian vettel and Kimi raikkonen who i assume when you were very very little you watched them winning races
1: yeah, it was very good company. I mean, Kimi even raced against my dad, so uh, very funny.
3: Did you remind him of that?
1: Yeah, he did, so that's very nice. Um, just talk me through, I mean, the team with your strategy today, the two-stop, it, it just worked out beautifully. At what point did you think you could win this race? Well, the thing was, the first two stints, I got a bit stuck. Uh, so, yeah, you can't, can't really get past. Um, I was quite good in the tyres, so I didn't want to do a three-stop, and uh, we planned a two-stop, and it was the best one.
3: How were your nerves at the end you're always so cool and calm but were you at all nervous or worried at the end or watching out for give
1: no not nervous it was just i was focusing a lot to to make no mistakes and i think because i was celebrating it quite a lot in the in-lab i got a bit of cramp so uh, yeah but that's part of it
3: well- that's no brilliant the guy got a bit of cramp from celebrating but what a cool story here huh? now this guy he was in the toro rosso team which is Red Bull's sort of like second team. So when that Russian dude kept shoving Vettel up the arse, he was given the flick. Uh, I think after Sochi when he literally did bundle Vettel out. That was it. So Verstappen came in and he had a dad. Uh, also a, a Dutch guy, judging by the accent. Um, I think it was just Verstappen. And he was, he was like an old, like he wasn't great. He he won the odd event here and there, but nothing special. But his son, just imagine that. Like, you've spent your entire career in a sport and now your son is 18 and he's actually like the next big thing. So, so cool. What a great moment. What a great moment in sport. And, uh, just watching, if you didn't watch the race, you gotta try catch the highlights. So basically it was, uh, Mercedes 1-2, as always, on, uh, on the podium. Hamilton got pole. He raced out in front, uh, during the qualifiers. But then, uh, sorry, uh, my chair just broke a bit. Uh, <laughs> uh, Rosberg then sort of got him on the, on the first corner and then Hamilton tried to pass him again. And with that, both, both drivers out. And uh, then suddenly it was Red Bull, just like in the good old days of when when Vettel was still in the mix. Now, Verstappen is 18 years old, so that makes him the youngest ever F1 champion. Now, the previous youngest was Vettel himself. He was 21. So great things here. And the next F1 is Monaco. So if you didn't like Formula 1 before, or if you are kind of neutral or not really into it, well, the season's very much been shaken up. Rosberg's still way in front. But, uh Wow. Imagine how the good this guy's gonna be in 10 years time. He's 18. 18. And like, he hasn't even got acquired a taste for champagne, but he's being sprayed on a Formula One podium. That is pretty amazing. Another thing that happened over the weekend that I thought was pretty amazing. Andy Murray actually beat Novak Djokovic when it mattered.
2: to win the
0: title
1: here. Andy
2: Murray becomes the first British winner here in Rome in the Open Era. Remember, it's only his second victory over Djokovic since claiming the Wimbledon title back in 2013.
3: Oh, sorry. It's quite a run that is actually uh, bordering on bullying when you think of the amount of times that Djokovic and Murray would screw up in the end and it would just be Djokovic is that much better. You know, many say that the reason that Murray just can't beat Djokovic, I'm saying prior to this, of course, is that they're quite similar players. So Djokovic would just sort of overdo Andy in every single facet of the game, whether it be serve, whether it be return, whether it be, you know, just baseline or covering, whatever it is. But that's a huge deal because going to the French Open now Djokovic has never won the French Open so this is quite a jittery thing for him and he was looking so good uh, during these roadmasters and uh, just just kind of snuff it right to the death there it's going to be in the back of his mind going to the French Open but what a French Open it's going to be we've got Kenny Shikori okay he's done well so far on the circuit we've got Rafael Nadal he won in Monte Carlo then of course you've got Murray just one now Federer will throw his name in there I don't think he'll get into the finals but he's there Wawrinka well, form wise absolutely no at the moment you've got a couple of absolute outsiders who seem to be bolting at the moment as well and then you've got uh, Djokovic so well just like I said for, uh, if you weren't into F1 now's the time to really be excited about it if you're not really into tennis well now's the time where you really take notice so another thing to get into the weekend um, yeah so we've got Carl here from Conker Sports we're going to be talking about Leicester City and the amazing boom of a team it didn't spend a lot of money but had a lot of sort of smarts so we're not going to get too much into the into the whole uh, BPL just yet Uh, we'll wait for him to kind of get in get in here and then we've got Juan towards the latter stage of the show talking rugby but what I do want to share with you from the EPL English Premier League British Premier League call it what you will was just the Arsenal Spurs rivalry Now. If you haven't seen too much of this over the past, it's because other teams were involved and winning the league. This year with Leicester winning the league, it was a separate story. Man United, Man City, Chelsea, they were nowhere near any, any of this. So a lot of focus was on this derby between Arsenal and Spurs. So going into the weekend, Spurs needed just one point against already relegated Newcastle to finish second in the league. This would be their highest, their best, the most important achievement in the English Premier League and they would for the first time in 21 years have beaten Arsenal on the table but that didn't really happen did it also fan TV bully always great a finish above Tottenham they messed it up again didn't they Tottenham I mean look
1: how far ahead they were well that's what you expect from Tottenham isn't it like that's why the rest of the world thinks they're shit
3: and doesn't so that's pretty much the view of all the Arsenal fans and there was one small consolation for the Arsenal fans is that after all of that After a disappointing season, at least they could then trump Tottenham on the final day. But they got absolutely thrashed at Spurs. 5-1 to Newcastle. Three of the goals scored by Newcastle were scored when there were only 10 men in the field. Arsenal had a very sort of predictable win over um, Aston Villa. As I said, both teams were really relegated. And Aston Villa, they'd just been nowhere the whole season. I think they had three wins the whole season. When you counter that to the other side of the table, Leicester only had three losses. But it doesn't actually put Arsenal in any different position. Position. Now, you know, I'm a fan of Arsenal fan TV, and the narrative gets a little bit sort of predictable. But when in times of anything, whether it be jubilance, whether it be in downtrodden moments, you've got to get the voice of reason, and that is, of course, Claude.
0: And I think this, this all this bollocks here today is overhyped yes, as well. No, right? Be... Right,
1: on, right come now. Come listen. We'll
0: we'll listen. Listen. Place. Let's have a look. Let's be realistic today.
3: Against...
0: On, we beat Aston Villa 4 0. Fantastic. Yeah, Giroud scores a hat trick. Right? And now he's the best striker in the world. Who said that? Right? Who said that? No,
1: no, 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 no. no. But no, no, no. Nobody said Let's that, have that look at this. this Nobody in the interview so far I'm has not, mentioned
0: Giroud. I'm not gonna, look, look. He'll always be shit. We are, it shows the mentality of this fan base, right? Oh, so the complete mentality. We are celebrating vomir. finishing second behind Leicester. You should be all ashamed of yourselves. So the bro. lot of you.
1: Right?
3: This has been a poor... <laughs> oh, this guy's is class. Now, Claude's like a huge fan. He's been there forever and ever, right? Every single match, he gets there in his Arsenal shirt. Um, I mean, he's old, so he's got shirts from, like, all the sponsors you can think of. But this final game, he's rocked up in, like... <laughs> Like a dressy navy blue like lounge shirt, but it's buttoned down to like the middle of his chest. He looks all disheveled and he just, he's just had enough, but he'll always go back. He's like a sucker for punishment. Last week he said that he was going to retire as an Arsenal fan. He's just had enough. <laughs> but it's the same old question. And now the Arsenal fans are talking about bringing in Satan Ibrahimovic because he might be on a free transfer. That's the worst kind of player I think you got to get in there. But we need to move on to this. Uh, sorry, one more thing. Uh, Jason Day absolutely dominated the Players' Championship. That's the final big story from the weekend. That is now seven wins in 17 starts. And people are saying that Jason Day right now is very Tiger-esque. Now, whenever I hear people compare anything to Tiger... It's just kind of unfair and it's also quite stupid. Here's a guy who hasn't, who, in his, in his prime, okay, which was a very, very long time. Tiger did not miss a cut for seven years, right? So as great as Jordan Speeth is, Ricky Fowler, all these guys at the moment, they can miss a cut at the drop of a hat. Speeth's now missed the cut two years in a row at the players. Ricky Fowler went from winning to now missing the cut. It happens, whereas for Tiger, it never happened. He just kept making cuts. If he had a bad week, he might miss the top ten, but he was always making cuts. So as much as Jason Day's achievements right now are amazing and they should be celebrated, and he is the world's number one in the world, like, sorry, he is the world number one in golf for a very good reason, the streak that he's on at the moment, Tiger had about seven or eight of these in in his entire career. He was that dominant that he would just keep winning like this and people would eventually just expected it. But still, that guy was just something else in a sporting context as well as in the golf. But Jason Day, credit to him, but this guy will break down. Mark my words. His swing is no way he can sustain this. And remember, Tiger became unraveled, okay, along with the fact that he couldn't keep the mouse in the house, he became unraveled when he had to change his swing because his body just couldn't keep up with it anymore. Jason Day is going in it flat out and credit to him. Long may it last because he's so good for golf right now. He's Australian. It's anything against him. But otherwise, he's so good for golf right now. But that wraps up your weekend of headlines. Uh, if you want to read more about it, go on to the Bounce Facebook page. It's just the Bounce on Facebook. And you can see the big sort of catch-up and all the results, all the all the English Premier League results. Uh, tele- sorry, Ned Bank Cup. Uh, there's rugby results in there if you want to get into all of that. But we must now get into discussion time. And that means that Kyle from Conker Sports is here uh hang on a second I, yeah i got you now Mike, can you hear me now Mike okay, you go. how's uh, it been good thanks yeah, for having me again yeah good to have you back although you look a little bit worse away you've arrived here in a sling <laughs> I mean, have you been playing contact sports as well yeah this is a, a rugby injury that needed to be fixed
2: so the less said the better i think
3: needed to be fixed yeah okay so I wasn't re-injured really no no, no. okay is, uh, yeah i've got a gammy hand for the same reason there's two screws in there nice and i was running away from ellis park different stories different stories right <laughs> so Leicester have just won the league I mean they've been they won about 10 points in the end which is crazy it wasn't just the fact that everyone was really crap and they just snuck it on the last day 10 points is a pretty decent win so, um I've been reading your sites, you know, because that's where I get all the real smarts. I'm not <laughs> saying I plagiarize you guys, but I definitely think I'm a smarter person from reading your site. So, the whole thing about Leicester, do you reckon this is a change in tide as far as how people are going to approach becoming championship teams in future?
2: That's what we'd hope. Um, I mean, what, what you've seen over the last couple of years is the guys with the most money win the league. Um, and hopefully, this is a sign of you not needing to pay huge sums of money for marquee players um, to win the league. Uh, they've shown on a fairly small budget. Fairly small um, is obviously a relative term in this space. But that they've managed to create a team that plays for each other and can win a league and win lots of games during the season um, and lose a minimal amount. I mean, losing three games in a, in a, in a campaign is unbelievable.
3: That's crazy. Absolutely Um, crazy. So just to, just to get in there with a bit of perspective, you said they're not spending a lot of money. Now here's a list of, um, the wage bills released in January, right? So, I mean, who knows if these, let's just say this hasn't changed too much. The number one team wage bill wise in the Premier League, 215 million pounds. That is what they spend. And Chelsea would know it this year, right? Man United, 203 million pounds. They're going to finish fifth. Uh, Man City, 193 million pounds. Uh, they finished fourth. Uh, Arsenal, 192 million pounds. And going up the top five, Liverpool, 152 million pounds. And they're what, like seventh, eighth around there. Leicester, 17th on the list of wage bills. They spend a mere 48.2 million on the wages. Yeah. You say mere 40,
2: 48, 42.8, but compared to the others, it's insane. Really, um, really is. Manchester City bought Kevin De Bruyne for a sum that was more than they bought... that then and they paid for the rest of this. Then, Lister City paid for the entire squad. That
3: is crazy. So, hey? just Absolutely to put
2: crazy. it in, into perspective. And then they've managed... Within that, yes, they didn't have the, the Champions League to deal with, which a lot of those teams did. Sure. Um, so, they didn't have any European football to deal with. But they still managed with that team, firstly, to keep the majority of them fit and then to win games. And I think it might have come from the fact that they didn't have stars. Yes, Vardy and Mares ended up being stars and maybe Wes Morgan himself. But to begin with, they didn't have any. So they could play as a team and play for each other and know that they're all going in the same direction.
3: It's a very good point. Now, I'm going to reference Arsenal because it's the team that I know the most about. And put on the back of Arsenal fan TV, I think they're great entertainment, <laughs> whether you like Arsenal or not. So now I, I read the article over the weekend again. Now, you may mention the fact that Ranieri went into the season and he had a lot of guys that might have been Either up and comers or kind of journeymen that were now given a chance. So everyone was very much playing for each other. Now Arsenal are talking about maybe getting a guy like Slatan Ibrahimovic to come into the team, right? Cause the, when you watch Arsenal fan TV, the question is every single week, what needs to change? What's going to, and people mm-hmm. are saying, you got to buy this guy, you got to buy this guy, blah, 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 blah. But I can't see that helping because to the point that you want up and coming youngsters, you want guys who are hungry and play for each other throwing a guy like Ibrahimovic the twilight of his career he's looking for his last big paycheck that's the worst possible thing ever if you look at other teams like Chelsea they're going to have to buy new players as well um, Man City they're going to have to buy, buy new players because you've got a new coach coming in the more you look at it the more you think well hang on a second Leicester's blueprint for success is something that teams should really emulate but is it something that all teams could do? that's a and that's probably what remains
2: to be seen going forward um I mean, Dan, in the office we have lots of conversations and, and Dan, who's been in here before, was, is under the impression that possibly the, the top four, top five within the Premier League have actually regressed and that's what's allowed for, for a team like Leicester City mm. to do what they've done. Um, but there's so many different facets within that. Um, are you supposed to be scouting players from eight years old? Are you supposed to be scouting them at 16? Should they be in your academy the whole way through? Um, do you need to pay a lot of money for an experienced player to then be able to um, to let the youngsters feed off him? There are there's so many arguments that can be made for for marquee signings, and then so many arguments that are against marquee
3: signings. Well, again, if you look at Alex Ferguson's real glory years, it was built on academy
2: kids. Exactly, and that's where I think it, or we think it should be done. Um, you've got Spurs are doing a similar thing now. All of them are putting a lot of money into their academies. Um, and what it means is that they can groom the guy, the guys from a very young age and instill in them the kind of football that they want to play and they believe is a winning style of football. And you can only rationally, it makes sense. You would yeah. think that that would be the way to go. You know that you don't have to pay these guys massive amounts. They're not there as a, a promotional gimmick from Adidas or someone like that. Sure. They really are there just to win. And to play for the team
3: that has supported them their whole lives. Something I'm picking up is that when you look at this, you look at transformation, all the sports actually not difficult. All these solutions are easy, but they're long term, right? Exactly. So we can have these and I agree with everything you just said, but fan pressure has got to be one of the biggest things, especially in the English Premier League, right? So you got all these guys calling for signings. Like we had it, we saw it huge in Liverpool. Suarez left and it was like, must have signings, must have signings. But it must be the hardest thing for a manager to kind of go on this, but you know, is there maybe a a, a happy medium somewhere along the line here? Maybe, possibly, but I
2: think it's also educating the fan base. So if you can tell the fans, look, we're not going to spend this much on players, but your ticket prices will be less. I mean, you've got you've had Ian A, who's now going to resign as CEO of Liverpool, but you've mm-hmm. had him in boardroom meetings and and fights, so in fights within the boardroom and in fights with the fans about ticket prices because he's had to up ticket prices, both season tickets and your general tickets.
3: Well, they were what? The fifth biggest wage bill in the Premier League. So. And this is
2: why. So now, so if you can get to a point where you're not having to fork out £300 million um, for your wage bill or £200 million as it is there, um, you don't have to then have the knock-on effect for the fans. And we can only hope that it'll be the, st- the same... Um, spectacle so the football will still be as good um, but you're paying less to go and see your team team play and that's kind of the education is the difficult bit because the guys just want results immediately
3: sure but I mean with these guys one thing that can be said about these English Premier League teams is like the fans aren't very much invested it's a family thing it's like they do whatever job they do sure Monday to Friday and then the weekend is it's the team it's not I'm going to a kids party or my friend's got a wedding no it's the team exactly. and these guys travel here like you know, they drive length and breadth of the country every weekend to go be there in the team, in the jersey they just paid for again. Every season it's a new shirt, whatever, whatever, whatever. But it's, um, it's like, okay, so let's, again, let's just use Arsenal for instance, right? They've got a problem in that they're not winning trophies, but yet they're getting, they're paying a lot of money. Where would the money be better used, say for instance, for, for all these high flying clubs? Is it straight back into the academy or is it just about, you know, Getting other sort of ways of scouting players, like you mentioned. Well, what do you reckon would be the first step?
2: Well, I think there's a lot there. Um, I think the academies is where a lot of the clubs are seeing that, um, are seeing a good return. So obviously as an investor, you want to see a return on your, on your money spent. So more money in the, in the academies would be great. Okay. But then also being able to make sure that the money is, and this may sound a little bit, um, uncapitalist, but the money is spread across more of the players so we've we've written articles because right, I was
3: thinking straight away when Rooney's wage bill i' <laughs> I'd love to see the pound to goal ratio with that guy exactly. so so there's a prime example. you can just take one guy and cut that and throw into the academy
2: exactly and it's not just the academy it's the fringe players of your entire squad right. so instead of paying one guy two hundred thousand pounds a week you're paying ten guys twenty thousand pounds a week, and it makes more sense because. They're not, everyone's now, um, in the same boat. So all those guys are, are all aiming towards the same goal. Um, and also you don't have these, these guys who've got too much money and don't know what to do with it.
3: Well, exactly. They often have orange wives and very fast cars that crash into bridges. Exactly. But now, like in a perfect world of capitalism and all that kind of stuff, is, do you reckon that these guys ever get paid less? Or do you reckon like you, you you've hit a ceiling and now that's just the norm?
2: Yeah, I don't. As I say in the article, I mean, the 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 crux of the article is that hopefully this will be a sign of a a financial bubble bursting within player salaries, and I don't like
3: like property bubbles and that kind of stuff.
2: Exactly. So I I don't necessarily think that that will happen, but maybe there'll be a rationalisation of those salaries. So instead of us seeing someone signed on for however much it is a, a, a vast sum of money, they'll. Come in on on a decent wage bill, and then that money that they could have paid um, for a a much bigger marquee, let's say, is then spread across and and used better within the club, whether that is on lower tickets, uh, on lowering the ticket prices, or whether it is finding the next youngster at eight years old in Africa.
3: Wow. I mean, there's some amazing PR opportunities when you think about this. If a real progressive club were to say, look, we've this is what we're doing with the money. We've got our players invested in the process of becoming champions. We're doing this. We're giving more back to you, the fans. This is an amazing opportunity for someone to look like a real golden boy here. Arsenal, again, a prime team. There's all this wrangling about the fact that the board comes first, the players, the fans, everything comes second. They've got the most amazing opportunity to kind of take this. They should really read this article and go forth.
2: So the biggest problem there is the immediate results. Yeah, And and the fans and everyone around just wants those immediate results. And Leicester were very, very fortunate um, and also obviously good at what they do to get the results in, their, sure. in the first season. There. Um, and that, I mean, it's, it's a phenomenal achievement. Um, so we can only hope that others try and copy that blueprint and get the immediate results. It's very unlikely. Lots of guys probably will try and copy it and not get those results. And the fans will turn on them and we'll get the same thing happening again and again.
3: Okay, I just want to touch on a few other sports. Before we go on to that, what do you reckon the next season does hold for Leicester? Because every plan has a phase one, a phase two and a phase three, all that kind of stuff. I, you know, what's what's your take on this next season with them?
2: I think it's going to be tough. They, the, everyone's, they're going to have a mark on their backs and then they've also got to deal with European football. And we've seen, looking, looking at Champions League and Europa League, okay, yes, um, Liverpool won Europa, but um, in Champions League, the English sides haven't done well at all. And now Leicester's got this added pressure of that. Plus, their, their squad depth is
3: decent, but not phenomenal. It's not Bayern Munich Wednesday, Arsenal Saturday Exactly. kind of deep.
2: So it'll be a huge test. Um, but I think they're looking forward to it. Um, I can only imagine they're looking forward to it. They are supremely, uh, or I would say they're over the moon at the moment with what they've achieved, but they need more challenges, and this is going to be a
3: huge challenge for them. Well, you know, people are saying that the stars, the natural stars, are going to go. But when you think about it, why would you go when you've got guaranteed Champions, Champions League football right? You can't get that if you go to Man United. Exactly. <laughs> why would you go when you started something that's really great? And you know that, like, you can see it with these guys. When that drink water guy scored that goal yesterday, you can see like they still cherish every single goal. They still cherish all these moments. And it was a big deal yesterday, not losing to Chelsea on the final yeah. day. It didn't mean anything, but it meant a lot to them. There's a lot of pride going on that team. So, I'd, Unless stupid money's gonna come from Spain for some of these players, I don't see that team changing a hell of a lot.
2: No, I don't think so. I mean, Vardy's already verbally committed. I know
3: verbally. But the thing is, Vardy's already very much the twilight of his 20s. Yeah. So he's not like he's going to be a real long-term prospect for someone. He's not. Mahrez, I think he needs a couple more seasons before he becomes that marquee signing that Real Madrid are going to sell jerseys on. Because mm. a lot of this is coming out of a lot of hype. Of and, I just, and a lot of the players in there, I think they'll work great as a unit. You can't just someone sort of, sort of take them, put them in a the team, and expect them to be stars.
2: And that's the thing. It's about building a team. And those combinations, Dan wrote an article on, um, on that recently. Um, it's all well and good having these these guys who are phenomenal at playing a particular sport. Yeah. But if they don't work well with someone else next to them, they're useless. Completely. So, I mean, you're seeing it now. There's, there's a bit of a... a it, there could be something happening within Mercedes with Rosberg and Hamilton. They're both very good. They drive amazing cars, but they're knocking each other off the track.
3: Yeah. So they Mes- both try to use the same piece of tarmac. Exactly.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so Mercedes could end up with a prost situation. Um so yeah, I mean, it is. A, Leicester have obviously built a very good team and it's that team has been built around those combinations that they've been able to work with. So if they did lose someone like Amarez, they may have someone that they've already groomed to play like him sure. that will then be able to um, to play in, in the same way as he has done with Vardy and Drinkwater and the guys.
3: Well, look, I want to touch on this with Sean uh, in a sec with the left-backs, but like I, I read your article and I look at the Leicester story and I just think like Again, there's so much opportunity in this country. We've got teams that aren't winning. Okay. They've got, the expectations are getting lower and lower with SA teams. And mm-hmm. that's just not me saying that. You got to look at this and go, okay, cool. I know immediate uh, results, cause this is the big uh, factor in this debate is that immediate results are craved and therefore that could stifle ultimate glory. But it's like, there's not, there's not enough good blueprints going here. It, like we can't just keep saying we haven't got the players. You hear it every single week in super rugby. We haven't got the players of five teams. Yeah. But we've got five teams. Players, there's enough players coming through. Like you look at that Leicester team at the beginning of the season and you would have gone, I don't want any of them in my team if you were a top six, eight, 10 team. Okay. Yeah. But something happened there. There was a cohesion and definitely a coach came through the system. Do you not think that maybe we just need to relook really at how we coach players in this country going definitely. slightly off topic?
2: Definitely. And I think that's something that I mean, Going slightly off topic, but maybe um, it's it's something that Conquer Sport does. We we do host our Elite Sport Summit, which allows for coaches and practitioners from around the world to come to South Africa and, and South African coaches to feed off their knowledge and their um, and their wherewithal. And it's it's something that for us is, we've seen as as a huge problem within South African sport is our coaches get to a certain level and then they plateau and they don't go that level further and to be able to for them to rub shoulders with guys from Man City, from Arsenal, from New York Yankees, um, is a huge opportunity, um, and the the content there is is something that can be used um, across many sports. It's not just one particular sport. And I think, you, yes, it is the coaches. It's also the processes that are put in place for that. Mm-hmm. Um, Ranieri came in and didn't make any changes to what was already there at, at Leicester City. Yeah. Um And in that, he was slightly fortunate. Um I think we've got to look at our grassroots level and the processes that are put in place there and try and make sure that everyone's, as a collective, striving towards the same thing. I mean, you you look at, for example, um the centrally, central cr- contracting of players at New Zealand Rugby. Oh, yeah. SA Rugby have started doing that. It should be the same for the coaches. If someone is... If the Lions, for example, are looking for a new strength and conditioning coach, it should be SARU that are then going and asking the the public or the the sporting fraternity, we need a strength and conditioning coach. It shouldn't be the Lions then going and doing that. It should be a process that SARU and the Lions
3: are linked to. Well, if you look at New Zealand, how many times a guy has stepped down because he feels as in the guy who could probably do his job better? Exactly. Because they've all worked together. They've all got the same mentality. It hates me how we always have to, I hate it how we always have to go back to the New Zealand example. The guys get it right. <laughs> Um, sorry. The, the one last point before we get into rugby conversation with Joan is that I believe that we're just so caught up in this country—not to make it too South Africa specific, because you know we all make too much of our problems sometimes—but it's like this player worship, and we become so inclined to always pin everything on star players. I mean, I saw it in high school: the biggest, the fastest guy, everything's pinned on that guy. Mm. Rather than and then suddenly we're playing against a team that just had you can see the guys are drilled, they know exactly what they're doing because it's more of a collective. Yeah. I think we've got to take whether it be rugby cricket, whatever it may be, take the example of Leicester and that your unit is always gonna be stronger. It's like that yeah. sum of all parts crap. But it's just too easy to say, Well, if we get three or four really good players we're gonna be amazing. Yeah. The guys can't play together, they can't click together, it's just absolutely pointless.
2: You've seen the Lions. The Lions have come from a team that um I mean, over the years, the Lions have produced some phenomenal players that have then been poached by the bigger unions because they've got more money and they live on the coast. Um, yeah, or cheaters. Cheaters, the same thing. Yeah. You know? I mean,
3: cheaters, essentially, the apprenticeship ends with you going to the Sharks. Exactly. But the
2: Lions have been able to produce results because they've played as a team and they've had that instilled by Johan Akerman, um that you guys are only going to get better and you're going to um, achieve more if you play for each other. And the results have shown. I mean, that that game on the weekend in the wet was unbelievable. And it's not the first time they've done that. To to beat the Chiefs away from home.
3: I was amazed by that. I really was. It's
2: a phenomenal, phenomenal achievement. Yeah. Um. And the, you know that we're starting to make the right moves when New Zealand commentators are saying, geez, we love the way the
3: Lions are playing. Which is really, really good. Just a message on uh, WeChat. Sorry, I haven't got to other messages, so we've been a bit busy. Colin Atterbury making a good point that Arsenal have always had great youngsters coming through. And it'd be really good to train them up. They just can't hold onto them once they become famous. So it's So
2: hopefully we'll see them being able to hold on to them.
3: It that. is. And and again that just comes in investing the right ways. So, you know, people are saying, Well, we have to pay uh whoever so much money, but we can't hold to this guy. But yeah. you can invest in that guy. If he's that good, put the money elsewhere, like you said. Of course. Carl, um brilliant, brilliant um article there. It's, what's new on the site for this week? Uh um, we look forward to.
2: Yeah, Dan's actually written an article on pressure. Um, interviewed the head psychologist from New York Yankees. Um, so it's it's basically looking at how the New York Yankees um, have debunked the myth of pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's quite nice. As it's fascinating. Yeah, it's it transcends more than just one sport. Um, obviously, that's looking at baseball, but if you look at golf, cricket, all of them, Dan's um, written a really nice piece on that. And then, I uh, know the one coming up next week is ambidexterity in sport, which is another interesting facet.
3: Very interesting. So if you're not reading this stuff, you have to, this is why I've got these guys on the show. It's for your benefit. The articles are really fantastic every single week. Go to conquersport.com. It's c-o-n-q-a-sport.com. And then, yeah, follow the guys, uh, Kyle, you at Dutton Kyle, D-U-T-T-O-N, mm-hmm. uh, Kyle. That's on Twitter. And, uh, Dan is at daniel gallon daniel, daniel. gallon says so it's and then conquer sport as well at conquer sport and then at conquer sport as well yeah okay sure <laughs> Carl, thanks so much for coming through we've got know, uh juan from the left backs up next but first before we get into that uh i gotta play a little ad hey duncan nailing it hey like i'm on i'm so on it today <laughs> And then, uh, I've got a little clip about Jamie Vardy I just want to play first. Now, Jamie Vardy has this, liber- well, this, this lookalike and his life is absolutely changed because this postman is now getting paid huge appearance fees to basically walk around like Jamie Vardy. My brother's a postman and he says you're now a legend within the Royal Mail. Everybody's talking about you. Yeah. Uh, are you still having to hold down your job? Right. Yeah. The, the press didn't
2: quite get it accurate yesterday. Um, my agency talks with Royal Mail about getting me a career break. Ooh. But... But at we'll the see. minute. And we're quite great yeah, to we'll do what? Because
3: I read somewhere about Celebrity Big Brother also. Yeah, all sorts of we're, things.
2: In, we're in talks with TV shows. Um, we've got bookings in uh, Dubai, Ibiza, INAPA for cl- <laughs> nightclubs. <laughs> uh, I did one two, two nights ago in Canterbury. Uh, so we had to travel from Manchester to Canterbury
3: for five hour travel
2: to do it
1: business
3: leaders around the globe are committing to building a better world for everyone cliffcentral.com is joining forces with the sympathy sleep taking a stand for the plight of the homeless we invite you to participate with us in the sympathy sleep on the 28th of july 2016 join the ranks of leaders of change by using your influence for what truly matters sign up now for the sympathy Sleepout on www.theceosleepoutza.co.za that's the CEO Sleepout ZA.co.za. Welcome back. That was Kyle from Conquer Sports. I really love training to those guys. They're just so, so insightful. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of cool when you can look. There's always layers in sports, you know, you can kind of go through them and there's so much you can learn and so many different things you can kind of apply to different situations. So. If you think your team is really crap, well, you never know. They could do a Leicester and they could use all of their sort of resources for the good of the cause. Right. Next up, we got Sean from the left back. Sean, sorry to keep you waiting, bud.
0: Hey, no worries. Ben, yeah. it's great to be back.
3: Yeah, that's uh, that Leicester story is really cool, which obviously makes me think about rugby because our teams, I mean, if, they, if someone could please win something, it would be really, really great. Um, John, before we get into I've got so many things to ask you this week. I've made notes. Um, really, I, I'm looking at a whole bunch of pen scribblings here. But just quite, just to bring you up to speed on the results from uh, Super Rugby from the weekend, starting off on the mm. Friday, massive, massive win there for um, the Highlanders over the Crusaders, 34-26. Then the Rebels at home. Uh, Rebels trying the Danvers to be the best Aussie team, but they're coming a little unstuck of late, so 22-30 they went down at home to the Brumbies. Saturday mm. we saw the Hurricanes, 29 over the Lackluster Reds, they were 14. Waratahs thrashing the Bulls, 31-8. Sun Bulls versus the Stormers. What a shit show <laughs> that was. How the Stormers cocked this one up. I mean, Nick Mallet made a very good point. I know that's like a It's like a a cliched statement nowadays because he makes many good points. But the Stormers, they did not look to win that game. They looked to thrash the team. And they just had to really pull it out of their ass right at the end there. So 17-all. Cheetahs versus the Kings in a very forgettable match, 34-20. But the Lions were incredible. five winners over the Blues in conditions that you never want to leave the house, let alone go play rugby. (laughs) The skill level, and i got to say – if these guys could somehow acquire consistency, I mean, obviously it's going to come with experience, but this is a very, very good side here. And the fact that they beat the Chiefs away and they completely hammered the Blues on the weekend. It was really, really great to see. And then the final match, it was the Jaguares 22 and the Sharks 25. So go on the Sharks. We have a late sort of comeback here and their season's not looking so bad. So to look into the logs and that kind of stuff, Joan, what's your take on the current situation? Who the teams are really impressing you at the moment?
0: Um, <clears throat> I think, you know, the Lions were incredible on Saturday in those kinds of conditions. You know, other South African teams would have kind of uh, drawn shutters, like a lot of mauling, a lot of lineouts, a lot of racking. But the Lions are just like, eh, going to throw it around a bit, kick it around a bit. And that's, I think, why they hammered the Blues so effectively. Um I think in the New Zealand Conference, one team for me that is just peaking at just the right time is the Highlanders. Their, their back line is just... Like a uses class. I I I don't really know of any backlines in the competition that can rival them. Really, they are just formidable, and I think that they are looking really, really, really good at the right time too.
3: But don't you find it's funny how Naholo comes back and uh they really are like another level, huh?
0: For sure, yeah. Naholo is just—he's just something else. He's just like a beast, and you know. The, the speed he has and the size he has and just the skills he has. It really is. You know, often you find that one player, well, they say one player doesn't make a team, but sometimes, you know, bringing one player back of that kind of caliber really can help you lift your performance and everybody just plays a little bit better. And I think that's exactly what's happening with the Highlanders.
3: Yeah, it's a very good point, that Something that maybe is lacking in the Stormers team right now, seeing is, well, you might play fly-off for them next week.
0: Yeah, I... Um, a Stormers fan um, you know but on Saturday they had a severe case of what I'd like to call um, underestimate like they Huge they thing. went to Singapore thinking they're going to absolutely hammer the Sunwolves I mean the Sunwolves are the team that lost 92-17 or whatever to the Cheaters and that's exactly why they came why well, they nearly came unstuck I, I think the, the the disturbing thing with the Stormers is, is that they've had a significantly easier road to the final than the Lions and the Sharks have yet they are Kind of trending a little downwards, which is, which is quite concerning. I think on Saturday, the only player that really put his hand up, or literally the only one who played was Peter Steph the Toy. I think he's just so hungry for the ball. He's just got such a hunger in him. And I think that, um, he's the kind of guy that can inspire the team a little bit, but I think that their, their attitude's a all wrong at the moment. And I think with the, with the return of Etsebe, I think they'll also be much better uh, oh. with his return too.
3: Now that, that brings up just one of the questions I've got for you today. Now, there's obviously no easy game in Super Rugby. Now, we've always seen this. Uh, the Wolves beats I mean, they can still beat a team somewhere along the line. But the fact that the Stormers aren't playing New Zealand teams is almost actually detrimental now because they know that they can beat sort of the lesser teams, and the more predictable teams through a certain game plan. But when you play against New Zealand teams, like this is the whole beauty of playing Southern Hemisphere Rugby. And this is why Argentina are being involved. Because when you play against the best, you will ultimately get better. Do you think that's kind yeah. of that's kind of hindering the Stormers right now, seeing as how flat they were in the weekend?
0: Yeah, totally. I, I think you know, even with Flecky, I think that the, the, the Stormers' game plan has gotten a lot better. But I do think that they still tactically they're a little bit behind. You know, I, I, I think that they they're not great at tailoring their game plan to the context, and I think that that's a, a bit of a problem for them. And, and yes, it's definitely. Detrimental to them that they probably, if the log stayed the same, I saw in my feed this morning that they'll probably play the Hurricanes. And yeah, well, the Hurricanes are not, you know, they're a bit hot and cold this year and they probably are beatable, it's like the Stormers would have no idea how to beat the New Zealand side because they haven't played one yet. Exactly. So I think that that would be a problem.
3: Well, it's it's quite damning. You look at the log situation right now. I mean, if you look at the New Zealand log, uh, Hurricanes are the fourth. So let's just call them the second worst New Zealand team, right? Now, on 36 <laughs> yeah. points, uh, where's that slope in the Aussie League? Uh, hang on a second. Thirty six points, right? That means that they would be on top of the Australian log by by with a lead of six points. With thirty six <clears throat> points, the fourth best New Zealand team would be leading Africa Conference one by five points and leading Africa Conference two by four points. It re- oh, it's just you know, Graham Henry was saying that it's a bit sad to see that the fact that no other teams are really stepping up and the New Zealanders are dominating as much. It's, it's frustrating because we can't see this this tide really turning that much. These guys are just so good.
0: For sure, man. I totally agree with that. Um like I actually made a note here as well. Chiefs, Crusaders landers all on thirty seven, Cairns are on thirty six. It's um and the Stormers the Stormers lines, the Sharks are the only well these are three teams that are above thirty points, but it's thirty two, thirty one and thirty and the Waratahs are on thirty. So I mean if you had to put that like on a bar graph, you'd see that the the New Zealand teams are literally smashing us in every way. And yeah. now Teams like the Stormers have no idea how to play them, so we come up against them in the semis and it should be a bit of a disaster.
3: Well, moving on to, yeah, you know, let's just try a grimly grip onto any sort of positive. The Sharks turn around here and that they've, you know, beaten the Hurricanes at home, now going away to the Jaguares. Although I still don't know quite what to make of this team. I mean, are they an easy beat or are they just kind of smoldering and they're going to click one day? But. <laughs> it's a really good return. And, do you, you know, is this a lot to do with the fact that Lambie is coming in and players, you know, just like Naholo coming back for Highlanders, players now raising themselves around as someone like a Lambie?
0: I think it started with the inclusion of Garth April. You know, um, I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of Joe Peterson. Like, he used, he's a Stormers boy
3: and, you, spare parts? you know, when he
0: played... Hey,
3: sorry? He's spare parts. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, uh, when he used to play for us, I was like, you know, obviously I'd back him and I'd wanted to do well, but... I I think he he he's not like he doesn't bring anything special he's a bit of an extra factor player by his nature but he doesn't really seem to bring anything special to the Sharks team. And I think when they put Garth April in that in that slot immediately they were better. And now with Lambie obviously he's a world class fly half and I think that he's really making a big difference too. And I think yeah, you know, to your points and it's also tough for me to place them. Um they've also got some tough games ahead, but um I think they're significantly better. And I, and I think that,
3: that that's, that's great for, that for rugby. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's look at something that like a bit of a discussion point to go to separate to current, um, happenings. Now, again, like when you watch a team or you watch the cheetahs versus the kings, right? It wasn't a great match. Um, Nick Mallet did allude to the fact that this is just proving that there's not enough good players to actually warrant super rugby in, in the extremes that it is. Are we looking at this a bit wrong though? Are we not looking at and saying, okay, cool. We've got our top teams. You know, we've got the Lions doing well. We've got the Stormers who are handy. Bulls, uh, Established Team, and the Sharks. We've got four good teams, right? And then, say, so we've got two other teams. Is it not more of a fact that we're going, okay, cool, we've got six teams? What are we doing coaching-wise? What are we doing development-wise around these structures? Is it not getting past the stage where, look, I mean, Super Rugby is going nowhere. We all know this. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. like, um, it's like our previous discussion. They're not going to suddenly start paying footballers less money, even though we all know they get paid too much money. Sands aren't going to suddenly start putting less teams in the tournament, even though we know that should happen. Is it not a way of saying, like, we actually need, as a country, to look at why our players are so far behind? Because resource-wise, it's not like New Zealand are a super rich country. It's not like like England, where they've got everything they could possibly want. They just all seem to have a better understanding of what's going on. Whereas here, you've got guys coming in here doing this. You've got guys doing that. There's no cohesion anywhere. Do you think it's a a situation of getting that right? Or are our players simply not that that good at this level?
0: No, I I definitely think our players are good enough. I think that we've got some of, like, if not the top three rugby talents in the world, pool of talents. I mean, you just look at the schoolboy talent we have. It's really, really incredible. I don't think of that. Sorry?
3: Yeah, that's, that's exactly what my frame of thought is as well. Because youth levels would suggest that we definitely have the players.
0: For sure, man. But, you know, it, it's a structural thing. If, if you look at, like, the NFL, for example, the NFL is just something that was so well thought out before they built it. It was like they planned it thoroughly before they did it. And as a result, they've really thought through everything. You know, you've got things like the draft. You've got things like players being traded. They've got things like transfer fees and that kind of thing. And rugby, we don't have that because the it's kind of this layered onion. That's not really... The best approach. We really need to we need to break down the silos, and we need to think of it as as rather as a vertical system rather than a horizontal one. And but I mean, you know, that's going to take so much time and cost so much money that I really don't think it's ever really going to happen. I think I I overheard you guys talking about central contracts and how the Springboks are starting to allocate budget to try and buy back players from you know them leaving overseas and that kind of thing. And I I think that's a really good uh, step in the right direction, but. Yeah, unfortunately, it's just the structures that we are up against, and I think it's really why we are a little bit behind New Zealand, and why we'll remain that way for a while, I'd say.
3: I see, I mean, there's two interviews in a row now. Like, the answer is easy. Getting it done is what's going to be the huge problem. So, for sure. so, so disappointing. Um, so, Joan, going going ahead now. What's the story with the Springboks um, at the moment? I mean, what the games are? What, middle of June. Yeah. So we obviously take a break super opi wise, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Eleventh of June is the first spring test.
3: Okay, so a- any more developments as far as Alistair could see of putting together a preliminary squad or is that going to be literally announced like prior to the matches? <laughs> That's such I mean, a good question because actually because there there isn't any windows for these guys to do anything other than just get together on a Monday and say how's it? Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, like I was saying, my wife actually mentioned to me the other day, shouldn't they be getting together quite soon? And I think that that's actually such an astute observation. It's like we haven't heard anything. Um, The only thing that I'm hearing from the camp is is whether uh, uh, Matt Proudfoot is going to be a a, a coach or not. That's literally all we're hearing. Um, I I think holistically, though, I I tell everybody that asked me my opinion that I think it's quite an exciting time for the Springboks. I think that there's going to be a lot of changes, you know, with Alistair here and all the kind of controversy that surrounded him and the fact that we lost quite a lot of players to retirement towards the end of the, of the World Cup. I think it's a very exciting time to be a Springbok supporter. I think the first squad is going to be incredibly interesting. I think it's probably going to be a really big squad. You know, it always is, and then they're going to trim it away quite quickly. Um Yeah, I mean, in terms of what the 15- the or 22-man team is going to look like on the day, I have... I have kind of two schools of thought to either have we're going to see quite radically different or we're going to see very, very similar. And my feeling is is that it's probably going to be very, very similar. And that's due to the fact that Alistair has run out of time. You know, 11th of June is the first test. It's in like a month's time. The Oaks would need to come together quickly and he's going to want to win his first series. There's no way he's going to want to experiment with it. I don't think that he's a very experimental guy. And as a result, we'll probably see a very, very similar nexus of players in the first spring box. Twenty-two man squad,
3: and any sort of gut feeling on the captain?
0: Um, yeah, that's it's something I've been thinking about a lot, and um, I think that a really long term, what a, a really strong candidate for captain would be Andre Pollard. I think he's a really strong leader, and I think that um, you know he plays locally, so I think that that takes that box. Ideally, in an ideal world, my captain would be Dwayne Familon. He just leads from the front. But unfortunately, him being overseas might be a bit of a problem. Um, then another dark horse would be maybe Frantz Malhaber. I think he's also a really good leader. I think his position in the team is relatively secure. In my opinion, that's probably the most important thing is, is is that your position in the team is secure. Look at a guy like Whiteley, great player, lovely guy, but is he the best number eight in the country? I'm not really sure that he is. He does not stand head and shoulders above the rest in a totally objective way for him to be you know, kind of earmarked as a springbok number eight and a possible
3: captain. So, you know, those would be my main three candidates, maybe Lambie as well. Yeah, I, look, I'm I'm swayed towards going with Lambie now because if you look at all things, you, you want to get to the point where, as you said, the guy is a dead cert. Uh, you can't yeah. see it with a lot of other people right now. And you don't want to get to the position where John Smith was in the latter stage of his career where you're picking a captain and then you're picking a team because he wasn't the form number two and then there was Absolutely. the whole tight-head controversy, whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, very interesting times here, John. Um, what more can For we sure. expect from from stuff on your blog this week?
0: Um, I think we're probably going to push out a post about um, the Springbok captain uh, kind of debate and push out a couple of options of who we can look forward to there. Um, I'm not sure what Bruce has got planned, actually. I probably should have caught up with him because he's our soccer and rugby guy, I mean, soccer and cricket guy. Maybe – I know he's not a big fan of the IPL, so I don't expect anything on that, but maybe something football-related. Um, yeah, I think it'll probably be uh, quite an easy post to write this week because I think last week's post was quite uh, – uh, the left the one was, was something that took quite a while to put together.
3: Okay, cool. So that's the left – well, the left backs? Uh. yeah. Uh, Leftbacks.coza. Dot, dot, Sorry, just leftbacks, No, the left za. <laughs> so catch exactly. up with the guys there. Um, Sean, thanks so much for your time again. We have, well, run out of time so, so quickly, but yeah, that's, that's a big rugby catch up. Uh, we'll catch up again with Sean prior to the, the Springboks. So yeah, June 11th. If you're looking to know when the Springboks are going to be in action, um, who the team might be, June 11th. Chat to you then, John. Thanks, Ben. All right. That is this week's show. It's all done. Uh, if you just didn't, if you catch in the back of this live, we'll get onto the podcast. If you go onto thebounce.co.za, that is the site. That is the home of this, of this whole show. That is what I put my blood, sweat and tears into, or at very least just my keystrokes. So go onto thebounce.co.za or go onto at follow the bounce on Twitter, you can catch up with all my my workings there, and then of course The Bounce on Instagram and Facebook, I am plugging this hard as hell, because I tell you what, it's a very interesting time of year, there's a lot of sport on the go, you don't want to miss any of it, or for daily interactions with me, listen to The Gareth Cliff Show right here on cliffcentral.com. 6.30-ish I do a daily bulletin and for everything else just go to cliffcentral.com try find the bounce page I can, literally there is about a thousand ways to find me and my guests and all these things so there's never any excuse to not be informed or entertained when it comes to sport I shall catch you back next week the bounce show will be uh, I can't confirm what's on next week to be quite totally frank with you I don't plan that far ahead anyway enjoy the rest of the day in the company of cliffcentral.com and uh, listen to the podcast and share it with your friends we're gonna play out with a track from Carmen.
1: Don't know who this is, but hey, here you go. Enjoy your day. This is CliffCentral.com